When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder from Silver and Black Pride. The Raiders have a must-win game this weekend against the Jacksonville Jaguars. But before that, we've got our Friday podcast going over all the news, the injury report, and answering your questions. So, let's get to it. Unfortunately, our news this week is going to start on a bit of a somber note. Raiders legend and Hall of Fame punter Ray Guy passed away at 72 years old after he had reportedly been battling a lengthy illness. Guy grew up in Thompson, Georgia, and was an excellent athlete in high school, playing four different sports and playing four positions on the football field, including handling the kicking and punting duties. From there, he went on to kick and punt at the University of Southern Mississippi, where his legend grew with stories that felt like folklore of him nailing 60-yard field goals and booming 90-yard punts. In 1973, the Raiders made Guy the first punter selected in the first round of the NFL draft with the 23rd overall pick and he lived up to the hype, becoming known for his sky-high punts that led to four All-Pro selections, seven Pro Bowl appearances, and three Super Bowl victories, all with the silver and black. He even served as the team's emergency quarterback. After being named to the 1970s All-Decade team, the NFL's 75th and 100th anniversary All-Time teams, it took far too long, but Guy was eventually inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2014, delivering the iconic quote, Now the Hall of Fame has a complete team, during his induction speech. On a personal note, this one hits close to home as I used to go to Ray Guy's punting and long snapping camp, so I'd just like to take a second to publicly say thank you for having an impact on my football journey, and on behalf of the Silver and Black Pride community, I'd like to send our condolences to the Guy family, and may he rest in peace. Despite starting 2-5, and five, Raiders general manager Dave Ziegler and head coach Josh McDaniels are staying optimistic about the direction of the team, and Ziegler went as far as to say this to the media this week. As a fan of the team, your expectations are high every year. You want your team to get off to a fast start, you want your team to compete in the playoffs and win the Super Bowl, and so the frustration from the fan base is totally warranted, and I can appreciate their passion, Ziegler said Wednesday. There's nothing more that we want than to win football games and to see this fan base get what they deserve, which is a consistent winner. And so the frustration is warranted. I'd say we're seven games into a new regime, a new organization, a new way of doing things, And for us up to this point, it hasn't gone as quick as we would have liked it to go. But we're not wavering in our approach. We're going to stick with our plan, improving it as we go along. And again, we're confident the results will come. Ziegler went on to say that he's been impressed with McDaniels, and the coach reiterated the GM's statements about the direction of the organization. When we were hired, we were hired to change the culture and develop the culture here. We were also hired to build a football team that can sustain and win, McDaniels said. And so the focus is always going to be on the long term, too. It has to be. And so that every trade that we've done up to this point has been with the focus on the long term. The contract extensions that we did were focused on the long term. We can't let the results of seven games really steer us in a different direction. We have a plan and we have an approach that we're going to stick with that we believe in. That doesn't mean to say we won't tinker with it. It doesn't mean to say that we're not going to find a flaw in your plan. You can't be so narrow-minded that you're not open to change during the process and be flexible during the process and learn new things. But at the same time, the approach... We're always going to look at improving the team in the short term with short-term solutions with an eye to on the long term. And that's how it's always going to be done. 
And that's the way, and that's what we believe at the end of the day, when we step back from this, what we think is going to provide good results for the Raider organization. Well, Dave and Josh, we'll be waiting. A few stats were floating around the Twitter sphere this week that highlighted some of the Raiders' defensive struggles this season. The first came from the Associated Press's Josh Duvau, who shared the Raiders' defensive rankings in takeaways per game, 0.6, dead last in the league, third down defense, 46%, 29th in the NFL, red zone touchdown percentage, 73.9%, 31st in the league, and finally sacks per game, 1.29, dead last. Marcus Mosier of Raiders Wire shared a similar figure from Pro Football Focus, showing Vegas ranks 28th in total pressures with 105 as a team. Reporters asked offensive coordinator Patrick Graham about the team's lack of pass rush, and here's what he had to say. It always starts with me in terms of just got to figure out how to coach it better and put them in better spots to create some more negative plays in terms of the pass rush and getting cons- consistent pressure on the flow of the game and how the game goes, Graham said. No excuses. We just got to figure it out and just got to find a way to be more consistent in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback, but it starts with me. That's what we're working on today heading to the game versus Jacksonville. They've got a young quarterback that can throw the ball around the field, has some unique weapons on the perimeter in terms of the passing game, and so the process starts there. And they got a pretty big and athletic O-line that presents some challenges in terms of getting to the quarterback, so we just got to stay diligent there and just working hard today and the rest of the week to try and figure out a plan. Graham also went on to say that he'll be getting trying to get creative schematically to help solve the issue. Trevor Lawrence is currently only getting sacked one and a half times per game, which is currently tied for the second best rate in the league, so it might be a challenge to bring him down this weekend. The NFL's trade deadline was on Tuesday, and the league saw a record 10 trades made in the final hours. However, none involved the Raiders. Reports were that they were involved in various discussions, but obviously, those conversations were all for naught. Ziegler was asked about the team's inactivity and said that last week's game did not impact his approach or decision-making at all. We're always going to be aggressive to look for new ways to improve this team, the general manager told reporters, but we're also going to be mindful of what cost of doing business is, and because you have aggressive buyers at the trade deadline, the price goes up on players. Ziegler would go on to essentially say that the price tags were higher than he wanted to pay for one player, and specifically mentioned not wanting to give any draft picks away. The other piece of news from the trade deadline was that there was no news suggesting that the Raiders were shopping running back Josh Jacobs, who is famously on a contract year, so he'll continue to his impressive season with the silver and black while the front office has time to evaluate whether or not to extend Jacobs. For a weekly roster update, the Raiders signed veteran wide receiver Malik Turner to the practice squad on Thursday. Turner is originally from Springfield, Illinois, and stayed in-state for college at the University of Illinois, where he ranks ninth in school history for receptions and receiving yards with 143 and 1,804. The wideout would go undrafted in 2018 but signed with the Seattle Seahawks, making the Seahawks practice squad and eventually getting promoted to the active roster. He played one more year in Seattle and has spent time with the Packers, Cowboys, and 49ers since then, picking up 29 catches for 414 yards and 4 TDs in his 5-year career. Alright, this week's news and notes roundup will be pretty short again as I only have a couple of things to tell you guys about this week. The first comes from Pro Football Network's Aaron Wilson who reported that the Raiders worked out fullback Jake Vargas, who's from the University of North Carolina and has spent time with the Vikings and Bears, and tight end Dominique Daphne, who's from Indiana State and has played for the Colts, Packers, and Broncos. Raider Nation will have quite the presence in Jacksonville this weekend as 60% of the seats sold for Sunday's game are at Raider fans, according to Vivid Seats. As we know, the nation always travels well. 
Moving on to the injury report, and it's a little lighter for the Raiders this week, which is good news as everyone was at least a limited participant in practice on Thursday, including tight end Darren Waller, who was seen running routes on the practice field, but was still limited with a hamstring injury that kept him out of last week's game. The following players were also limited on Thursday, linebacker Divine Diablo with back and wrist injuries, and those actually held him out of practice on Wednesday, defensive tackle Neil Farrell Jr. knee, and wide receiver Matt Collins heel. After battling the flu last week, wideout Devontae Adams was limited on Wednesday, but a full go on Thursday, while quarterback Derek Carr has been a full participant with a back injury. Cornerback Sam Webb, hamstring at back, guard John Simpson, ankle, and long snapper Trent Sieg, also ankle, were all listed on the report as FPs as well. The Jaguars are even healthier though, as only one player was listed on their injury report over the last two days, and that's wide receiver slash kick returner Jamal Agnew, who was limited with a knee. And that'll do it for this week's injury report. Here we go, mailbag time. As your weekly reminder to have your questions answered on a future show, either tweet them at me, adamholder95, or email them to sppquestions1 at gmail.com, adamholder95, or sppquestions1 at gmail.com. First up, what is Patrick Graham's track record of developing defensive linemen? So first of all, to add a little context to this uh, question here, this was in response to my article last week about Neil Farrell Jr. If you haven't checked that out, make sure you go find that on the site. And basically what they were trying to figure out was what does Graham, like they said, what does Graham's track record of developing rookies and how especially defensive tackles, um, obviously seeing as that's been a, a hot topic of conversation the last couple of weeks as the Raiders have been struggling to get something from that position. So I went back. In 2019 was, I believe, his first year with the def- as a defensive coordinator with the Dolphins. They drafted Christian Wilkins, who um, has become a pretty good player in the league, going to be probably getting paid here pretty soon and up in this uh, next free agency class or the one after that. I believe they picked up his option, been, been a stud, so I think Graham definitely gets some credit, although it was only one year that he worked with Wilkins for developing that guy. He's obviously been a pretty good player. Um, in 2020, the Giants, uh, with the Giants, Graham's first year as the D.C. there, they didn't draft a defensive lineman or even didn't sign anyone significantly. But in 2021, they did draft Aziz Ojolari with the second pick of the draft, 50th overall. And Ellerson Smith, uh, fourth round, 116 overall. Unfortunately, both those guys have kind of been banged up and injured, and they're both edges. Uh, Ellerson Smith, I don't even believe, has played in, has only played in a handful of games with uh with the Giants with neck injuries, whereas Ojolari has become a decent pass rusher, so some flashes and had been dealing with injuries as a rookie. Uh, then, again, like I said, kind of showed some flashes uh, with the Giants last year. This year been injured again, so kind of hard to gauge from those two uh, how much of his impact Graham was able to have on them. And Graham was the Giants defensive line coach when they drafted Dalvin Tomlinson back in, let's see, what was that? I think 2016, 2017, something around then. And Tomlinson was a pretty good run defender for the Giants for a few years, and he was a second-round pick for them uh, back in the day. So another good defensive tackle that that, uh, Patrick Graham has developed. And he also worked with their first-round picks, Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence in New York as the D.C. Leonard Williams is a little bit more established coming over from the Jets, and I think they might have even traded a, a high draft pick for him. I don't remember exactly what it was off the top of my head. So he was kind of already established. Dexter Lawrence has become a pretty good player in the league, too. Um, obviously, another feather in the cap for for, uh, for Graham. Wasn't there when they drafted him, but obviously spent the last few years developing him and working with him kind of in the same line, same draft class and same team as Christian Wilkins in that 2019 class. So Graham does have a pretty good track record of developing some defensive tackles. 
It might take a year, obviously, with guys like Neil Farrell and Matthew Butler, you know, the only player that even that I listed that even came close to how far down the draft board those guys were drafted. It's Ellerson Smith. So I think we got to be a little bit patient, but I mean, Graham does have a pretty good track record of, uh, of working with defensive tackles and finding ways to, to make them successful. Leonard Williams has been pretty good. Like I said, Dexter Lawrence has been good. Uh, Wilkins has been good with him too. So I would say hopeful. I know a lot of people are down on Graham, down on the whole team as a whole right now, but I do think he is a, he is a guy that can at least help these young defensive tackles grow throughout these next few years. All right, number two here. Why do we do this to ourselves? This has kind of been a, a recurring theme over the last few weeks, and I uh, can't say I blame you guys, but um, like I said, a few, I think a few weeks ago, Raider Nation is just full of uh, insane masochists. We all like to expect the same res- or do the same thing, expect the same, inspect different results. Excuse me, as I butcher that saying, and just expect a different result. Um, and we just loved inflicting pain on ourselves for whatever reason. So, good question. One I've asked myself a bunch over the years, but I guess misery loves company at the end of the day. But trust me, it'll get better. I hope. Third question here. Why do you think this organization goes from one shit show to the next? And what do you think needs to happen to break the cycle? Sometimes I just wonder if a, if a complete rebrand would, uh, would be in order. Just change the logos on the side of the helmet. But in all seriousness, I mean, I'm going to say this where I know Al his last few days or his last few years with the organization last 10 really was getting kind of senile and kind of left it and handed it over to Mark in a, in a mess. And especially the, to get off the ground, just to get where they've been has been pretty impressive for Mark Davis. But I mean, there's been, like you mentioned, one shit show to the next, but in the last 10 years, there's been one constant. And unfortunately that's Mark Davis right now or, However you want to look at that, it's Mark Davis. I think he's been, I think he's been great at doing the business side of things. I think obviously the Raiders are are well worth uh, or have drastically improved their their net worth. I think Forbes has them up to like four billion dollars or some astronomical amount, which is great for Mark Davis and great for the business side of things. But again, it's been one crazy shit show after the other. Been feels like he just kind of hires people that make a good impression on him and kind of sticks with them and rolls with them almost to a fault. Weird that he didn't do that with Rich Passaccia, but that's what he kind of did with Gruden, gave Gruden the big contract and let him wait it out for four years without making the playoffs, which we don't really see a whole lot in today's NFL where it is an instant gratification deal. And you're seeing it this year with McDaniels was the guy that he wanted and McDaniels isn't exactly working out, but they're giving him nothing but voted confidences in the, in the media. So Maybe a little bit of it is uh, some lip service. I get get that as two, and it is year one. But yeah, I mean, the one of the biggest things is, or the constant thing that I have to point to is is Mark Davis over the last 10 years, where we kind of have to blame him a little bit. Again, he gets a ton of credit for moving the team. The team has been successful and more successful than when he took it over, and especially in those last 10 years. But at the same time, we do have to kind of point the finger at him a little bit as the head of the organization to keep seeing these these quote-unquote shit shows that keep coming up. Um, no, what needs to change? I'm not going to sit here and say that. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say that Mark Davis needs to sell the team or get rid of it. I'm just saying that if we're going to point fingers and blame somebody for the organization as a whole over the last 10 years, you got to start at the top. Again, I hope that he can turn it around. I think the Gruden era was starting it turned around, but... Obviously, who you hire is a big part of uh, being the CEO of a company or 
in this case, the owner uh, the owner of an NFL franchise, and that plays a factor. And hey, who knows? Maybe firing Rich Passaccia was the wrong move. Anything's kind of on the table at this point in this morbid season. So I think you got to point the finger at Mark Davis a little bit here. Next up, will Josh Jacobs get the franchise tag? So the franchise tag, or top five for uh, a running back next year, is looking about 13 to $14 million for the season. So will Josh Jacobs get the franchise tag? That, let's see. I think they might use it if they want to extend like the negotiation period, and they do want to extend him. But I don't know if he'll necessarily play on it, if that makes sense. Just because, again, 13 to $14 million, I think the signs have pretty much been out there that they're kind of already planning for Jacobs not to be back. Now, then again, I say that, and that was all before he's having this big season. I, I just honestly don't know if they can justify spending that much on a running back. I mean, that's definitely not the Patriot way, which we've seen them try and mimic. And I just... I just don't know if I see them wanting to allocate that much money to a running back when they've already allocated so much money with Darren Waller, Derek Carr, um, Darren Waller this offseason. Like, at some point, the spending's got to stop. But yeah, if they do want to extend him, I could see them slapping it on him to, again, buy them some more time. But it just feels like the signs are on the, the, the writing is on the wall, excuse me, as I screw up that saying. Um, but that they're just not going to bring him back, which is unfortunate with the great year that he's having. And I think with the franchise tag, I mean, granted the Raiders do have a good amount of cap space, so maybe they'll just bite the bullet and do it. But I feel like it's it would be less likely for them to have him play on the franchise tag for one year at a really high price tag versus a few years, or at least have him locked down for a few years. And then, you know, you kind of make your decision from there. Or can start spreading around the money with all the void, with all the void years and all that stuff and play around with the contract a little bit, whereas you don't get that as much flexibility, obviously with the franchise tag and being at one year. So yeah, I just don't know if I can see him playing on the franchise tag next year. But then again, you know, this, this organization or this, uh, this new leadership has been hard to predict so far. So I wouldn't put it past him. but yeah, if I had to, if I had to go with my gut right now, I don't think Jacobs plays on the franchise tag. And I still kind of feel like he's uh, probably gonna be gone in the off season, which sucks. Cause again, he's having a great year. Question four, should we expect a contract restructure from Chandler Jones in the offseason? So this was tough because I'm not a capologist by any means, and this stuff obviously goes way above my head um, a lot of the times, especially with how teams have been operating recently. But the Raiders did already work in about two void years into Jones's contract. I think they can do up to four um, or up to four years past the uh, the last year that he actually plays for the team, if that makes sense. So they do have some flexibility with it. I just don't know how much they really can do. Again, I'm not the the greatest with the cap cap and all that stuff. I'm sure they can convert some of it into signing bonus. The thing is, they don't get a whole lot of cap relief if they if we're talking about releasing them. They're not going to get a whole lot of cap relief, which I don't think they'll do. But as far as a restructure, I'm just not sure how flexible it is since they've already kind of built that in a little bit when he signed by giving them some relief. Now, again, they have more cap space next year, so they don't think they necessarily need to. And going into that third year, they can get out of the contract fairly or without too much of a dead cap hit. So I don't know if they necessarily need to have them restructure, and I don't know how much flexibility they will have. But if I tell you what, if he keeps producing like this, they will probably figure out something because he's grossly overpaid right now. But yeah, I just don't know how much flexibility they have with that contract, with it only being a three-year deal 
Um, and next year they'll only have two years left on it and them already have worked some void years into the contract. Again, they can tax some more on, but I'm not sure how much of a difference that'll make. And then you're starting to get into the territory of, yes, it's a future year problem, but eventually you're going to have to face that problem and do how far do you want to push this thing out? Number five, would you choose edge rusher or cornerback in the first round of the draft? So this one, when it comes to draft questions, I'm almost always in favor of just going with the better player. And I think with this year's class, it's probably going to be edge rusher. There's a little bit more top-end talent at the edge rusher than there is at cornerback. But that's also going to depend on where the Raiders, dra- Raiders are drafting. They're drafting right now. I would say go after an edge rusher. Go after a guy like Miles Murphy maybe because they're picking so high. But it, I would imagine they'll probably pick somewhere within within the teens. And at that point, I think your top edge rushers are going to be gone. And I kind of look at this edge rusher class as there's – couple really good high-end guys and will anderson and uh and miles murphy and then there's a lot of those kind of mid first to second round edge rush type guys that are good players and there's a lot of them so there's a lot of uh you know options for the raiders or any team looking for in the market but i don't know if there's a whole lot of guys that really make you want to pass on maybe another need if that makes sense where there's not a top-end talent or anything like that, or a guy that's really going to wow you outside of Anderson and Murphy. So I think with that, I'd probably lean towards cornerback a little bit just because looking at the Raiders roster, like we were just talking about, Chandler Jones is at least on a contract for the next two years, and they have Max Crosby too. So worst-case scenario, even if they did want to get rid of Jones after a year for whatever reason, again, not saying that'll happen, that at least have a guy at the edge rusher where they can – kind of rely on him and he can kind of be a stud and mask a lot of your flaws. Whereas at cornerback, they're going to be pretty thin. They'll have Nate Hobbs, which is a good sign. And as he's been really playing really well, but they're death desperately thin outside of Hobbs after next year, Rocky sins, a free agent, Anthony Averett signed a one-year deal. So he's a free agent. So now we're talking about Amick Robinson being the cornerback too on a contract here. So, um, I, I would probably lean towards cornerback just from a need standpoint, if that's kind of the the angle you're going for from, from that standpoint. And again, I think there's some good corners, not the top end like you are, you will see in the edge rusher or we've seen in years past, but I think there's enough corners in this draft that, to warrant a first round pick that are really good. And it it's going to be a pretty pressing need for the Raiders in the off season, even if they do bring some of those guys back that I was just talking about, because they could really use some depth no matter what. Next question. What does Keelan Cole have on Dave Ziegler and McDaniels or Mark Davis that he's taking snaps over DJ Turner? Turner should be getting the jet sweeps, not Devontae Adams. Hey, I mean, I can't argue with you too much. I'd kind of like to see a little bit more DJ Turner. I think with Keelan Cole, the biggest thing is he's been, he's a veteran and he's been healthy. If you remember DJ Turner after week one was on injured reserve and sprained his ankle. So he's kind of still getting back into the groove of things. And I think this coaching staff are pretty much any coaching staff is going to have an affinity towards veterans and Keelan Cole having done it in the league before and having a good track record of success in the league. I think that's probably why you're seeing him get more playing time right now. That again, with the combination of Turner being, being injured and Turner does have value as a special teamer. So maybe they're, they're trying to ease him back into the, the lineup a little bit there and have that be his role for right now. But yeah, hopefully we do see some DJ Turner in the actual offense soon because, like you said, Keelan Cole hasn't done much in the way this season's going. You guys have heard me talk about it for the last few weeks. Love to see some young guys get some snaps, but 
Hopefully, maybe, uh, well, maybe not this week because it's Keelan Cole revenge game against the Jags. So we got to play up that hype. But uh, hopefully soon, yeah, we'll start seeing some uh, some more reps from DJ Turner in the slot, especially if Hunter Renfro is not going to be playing well too. That's another thing to monitor. So we'll see. Maybe they can get creative with DJ out there and uh, stop giving the ball to Devontae moving laterally on third and one. All right, last one of the day. If you had full autonomy over the offensive line, what starting five would you go with? Colton Miller's going to be at left tackle. That's obvious. Probably keep Dylan Parham at left guard. I think he's played a little bit better on the right side, but I think at this point with a rookie, he's fine to be at the left. He's played there played there in college on the left side. So if they want to keep Parham and Miller together, I have no problems with keeping Miller on the left side. Center sticking with Andre James for now. thought James had a pretty rough game last week, so... Again, getting in a little tangent. Maybe that's the position they look at the offseason, but um, keeping James there for now for this season. Right guard, this is one thing that bugs me about the team and about um, the way they're handling the offensive line. I don't get it with Alex Bars. I don't know if he's having like practice of his life, but I feel like every time I notice him on film, he's either getting beat, and it's not just in pass protection or just as a run blocker. I feel like it's both. I don't... I, I just don't understand why he's still out there. I don't get that. I don't get that he's getting reps over John Simpson. I didn't think John Simpson was playing that poorly to to warrant getting benched. And I don't think Simpson's played since like week four, maybe even earlier than that. So yeah, that'd be the one guy that I would definitely bench. I don't understand that's starting. And then that I think would let you move Tremaine Illuminor over into right guard and put Thayer Munford at a right tackle. Again, you guys will hear me a lot and probably to a fault. I'm all about the young guys. Give those young bucks a shot. And I think for right now, I think Mumford has proven he can handle the role that you're giving him right now. So the next step is to give him a bigger one. And I think Luminor is a little bit better at guard than he is at tackle. So go with him there. So, yeah, that's what we'll move. those are the five I'd go with. Colton Miller, left tackle. Dylan Parham, left guard. Andre James, center. Right guard, Jermaine Luminor. And then right tackle, Thayer Mumford. That'll do it for this week's podcast. As your weekly reminder, the Raiders have the 10 a.m. PST kickoff this week, and the game will be aired on CBS. Make sure to tune in. As always, make sure you're following Silver and Black Pride. Make sure you're following me on Twitter, at mholder95. Rate, review, subscribe, and download wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, thank you guys for listening. Let's hope for a better week this week. Until next time, guys.